The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Jesus said, Blessed is the man who builds his house on the rock. And friends, Christianity, the church, is indeed built upon a rock. That rock is Jesus Christ. That rock is Jesus Christ in his resurrection from the dead. Our faith is based not on feelings, not on what our emotions are, but our faith, our Christian faith and hope is based on facts. Objectable, objective, falsifiable, verifiable facts. It's not Jesus is alive to me or I want Jesus to be alive, but rather Jesus is alive. He is not dead he is living. In our setting, in the world we live in, in the time and cultural space we occupy, we always do, I think to a certain extent, as we talked about before, feel the necessity to qualify our faith, to qualify our confession of Christianity. Well, I personally believe Jesus is risen from the dead. Well, I personally believe that Christianity is true. I'd say don't do that if you're in that situation. Don't say I personally or I just or whatever. Don't qualify it. That softens it. It doesn't confess confidence where you put those words in that kind of subjectifies what you believe as a Christian. It doesn't inspire confidence in the people you are talking to and it doesn't frame it. I think the way that we ought to frame as Christians our Easter confession that Jesus is actually alive. Jesus is alive, and that's the most important thing in the world. That's what I believe. It's what I hope you believe. It's what all Christians should believe and do believe, and it's what we ought to say without any bars on it. He actually died, he actually was buried, and he was actually raised, just as sure as I am here in front of you speaking, Jesus Christ is not dead. He appeared to the witnesses, they went out. They spread the word that he is not dead but living. And we here gathered today believe their testimony two millennia later. Jesus is living and nobody's personal opinion, 
Nobody's personal criteria and personal hoops that they think that God ought to jump through can change any of that. But indeed, some people do try, don't they? You see, even before the resurrection, if you'll remember from the gospel accounts, there were precautionary steps taken by the council, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to ensure that the disciples couldn't go around and say that he had risen from the dead later. They said, we want those guards, those Roman guards placed at the tomb. Scary, big men, strong men with pointy sticks to make sure that nobody can come and steal his body and then go around saying Jesus is risen when he actually wasn't. And of course, we know how it plays out. After the resurrection did indeed happen, and Jesus was not in the tomb because he was alive again, the spin doctors got to work right away in a way that would have put CNN, MSNBC, and yes, even Fox News, to shame. They bribed the guards, and they said, you tell them the disciples stole the body. They had to, because they were going to double down on their mistake, not admitting we were wrong to kill him, we were wrong not to believe him, but saying, no, he's not risen, they did it all, it's a lie. These people are in levels of denial that shouldn't even be possible. But what's funny, though, is there's a second denial about Jesus being alive again, Jesus being risen on that day, and it came from an unexpected corner. We have here in our lesson from John, the disciples, hiding, cowering in fear in the upper room for fear of the Jews, John tells us. And then what happens on that first Sunday evening, that Easter Sunday, Jesus appears to them, flesh and blood, standing before them, showing that he was alive. Now we also hear, of course, Judas was not there, but also Thomas wasn't there either. He had, who knows what, better things to do on the first Easter Sunday. And he says, after he hears the report of the other ten that Jesus was living, unless I see with my own eyes and feel with my own hands the marks of his crucifixion, I'm never going to believe it. He had enough to go on already, right? He'd been with Jesus throughout his ministry. He'd seen his miracles. He'd seen other people be raised from the dead. He'd heard his words about what he was going to do. And plus, he had the testimony of people he ought to trust, his friends, the disciples, the women who saw the empty tomb, who saw the Lord himself. But for whatever reason, that wasn't enough for Thomas. He had his own standards, his own personal and his heart convictions that unless God met them to his satisfaction, Jesus was still dead as far as he was concerned. Now, it took a few weeks, we know, for some of the Pharisees to come around, and they did. Read the book of Acts, read the account of Pentecost, read Peter's sermon he's accusing this, his audience, as we'll hear here in our own lectionary in a few weeks, of being the ones that crucified Jesus. And many of them are cut to the heart, and they repent. They convert. They become Christians. So, so yes, some of the Pharisees did come around, but it took a few weeks. Thomas, on the other hand, only took one, or less than one, if you do the math. He got straightened out the very next Sunday. And he was turned when he saw Jesus standing before him in the flesh. A week later, 
He was turned from an unbeliever to a believer, from a doubter to confessor, and he said, my Lord and my God. But I want you to think on this. The reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead was not affected one bit by Thomas and his doubts and his skepticism. You see, all of the Pharisees and scribes, they did not create the reality that Jesus was still dead just because they pushed a narrative that he wasn't, right? They told everybody he was still dead, the disciples stole the body and stuff like that. It didn't change the fact that he wasn't dead, he was alive. And Thomas's own skepticism, it's the same thing. It didn't affect anything. It didn't make Jesus dead just because he chose, because of his own reasons, not to believe it. All it did was make him look like a fool for a week. And that's the thing that I want you to think about today, on the second Sunday of Easter. The objective, unchangeable, set reality of the truth, of what actually is in this God's world, this the world that we live in. I'll put it this way, and I have no problem putting it this way. I often like to because it gets people to raise their eyebrows. Jesus is alive or he's not. He's God or he's not. There's not a middle ground. There's not a you can believe it and I can believe this over here and we can believe different things and it's okay for both of us. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is not a matter of votes. It's not a matter of feelings. It's not a matter of public or private opinion. It's yes or no. He's alive or he isn't. And if he's alive, all objections, all rejections, all dismissals of him are actually not just wrong, but they are incredibly cosmically foolish. The divine reality and truth exists. And think of it this way. We ourselves are either in conformity with that reality or we are not. We are in step with it or we are out of step with it. We believe it or we don't believe it. What nobody can do is change it. What nobody can reject it, but they can't change what it actually is. We cannot create or recreate our own reality according to our own whims. And this means, in conclusion, two things. People who reject Jesus Christ and the reality of his rejection and or of his rejection of his resurrection and his word, they should repent. They should turn from unbelief to belief. Secondly, and for this is for us here today, Christians should be encouraged, deeply and bigly encouraged. Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead, and your faith in him is not misplaced, it's not in vain. Scoffers and mockers and people who for their own reasons have rejected him, the Bible tells us will one day along with the whole world, bow their knees to this Lord. And those who hotly rejected the him then or now, those who have coldly or indifferently rejected him, will one day know without a doubt that he is true and he is Lord. And not in that day, you Christians who have confessed him with your lips and believed on him in your hearts, you will be vindicated. You will be proven 
that your hope has not been in vain, but rather the hope that you have carried all of your Christian life has proved to be the most sure and valid thing and in the most sure and valid thing 